Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free Posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast. I came to a crossroads and I had to decide, like, am I going to take this chance on myself or am I going to put it aside and slow down and just stick to my office job and move forward? This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Today's guest is Nicole Farrow, and she's a photographer in Canada who quit her great-paying government job not too long ago to become a full-time photographer. Nicole has four kids, and she was just so ready to be done with the life of an 8-to-5 job to be able to not only spend more time with her family, but to do something that she loves. Nicole started as a shoot-and-burn photographer, and we chat about the different processes for getting your sales average up to what it should be, and we also talk about getting into a good mental space in order to gain the confidence to make a big change to going full-time with your business. Nicole has a ton of wisdom and really puts things into perspective in a great way, and I loved interviewing her. All right, let's get started with the show with Nicole Farrell. Hi, Nicole. How are you? Hi, Nikki. I'm great. It's so great to hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to chat. Um, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about your stories. I, I mean, I know some of the basics of it, but I'm really excited to learn more, and I think that what you're going to talk about and just everything that you're going through will resonate with a ton of people. So this, this will be good. This is exciting. Hmm. Okay. I hope so. <laughs> I hope it'll resonate. I know it's going to be fun. I just hope it resonates. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling it will. I, I definitely have a feeling it will. Okay. So why don't you just give our listeners an idea of where you live, what you typically shoot and how long you've been doing this? Okay, sure. So I am Canadian. I live in Ottawa, which is the capital city of our country. I am a wife and a mom. I've got four kids, ages, my youngest is six, my oldest is 13. And I started, well, I've always been around photography. Uh, my father had a wedding photography business when I was in my oh, 20s. Yeah. And he's always been like a hobby photographer. So it was always around cameras and he was an avid shooter. So I would, I helped him out with his, with his business when I was in my twenties in university, I would tag along on, on shoots and weddings and that, but it wasn't until I was a mom with kids. It was actually when I was pregnant with my fourth and I realized that I didn't have the work-life balance that I wanted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also that would support having so many kids. Like it, it was my husband and I was, we're both working very, you know, nine to five jobs, very stable, um, well-paying jobs with benefits and vacation and everything. But, um, you know, my kids were spending, you know, several hours in 
and before and after school care or daycare Mm -hmm. a week, which was really expensive. And, um, you know, and I just, it was getting to that point where I felt like I was just working to keep them in daycare and I didn't want to be doing that anymore. I didn't, I didn't want to be just working for, to pay someone else to raise my children. So, so yeah, yeah. so that kind of sparked the idea and, um, and, but it was uh, when I was on maternity leave with my, with my youngest, my fourth, when I really started to, um, you know, learn more about um, shooting, um, you know, getting off manual, uh, really making the most of my camera, quickly realized it, realized I needed a, a little, I needed to upgrade my camera, sold a bunch of the children's toys and baby stuff so I could buy myself a more professional grade camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then of course just shot everything and anything I could. Um, and, and those things kind of came together where it started to become a possibility in my, in my head that I could use this to create a new life for myself that would support me having a work-life balance that was what I wanted that would help, um, you know, uh, help me spend more time with my kids and doing something that I was, what was, I really cared about and that I was passionate about. And of course, then it gets to that point where you realize that, you know, you have to decide whether you're going to take the chance on yourself or not, because you realize like, I either have to go all in or I have to, you know, say, okay, this was fun, but let's get back to real life kind of thing. (laughs) So yeah, so I had to make that choice. And for a while I was, I went back to work after um, my maternity leave. In Canada, we get like a really great maternity leave because we have a year off after we have our kids, after we have a baby. That is amazing. Yeah, and it is. It's great. America is so way behind on this. It's absolutely absurd and unacceptable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I honestly couldn't ima- I really honestly couldn't imagine. Like, I, I really couldn't imagine going back to work after, I think it's six weeks, you guys. You guys get six weeks. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, some average. people don't really get anything. Yeah. Well, you, you can take the time legally, but you don't get paid. Paid, Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, I took a year and then some because we financially could afford it. I I just took a leave without pay to to spread out my time. So I was back at work full time with all four kids in daycare or school. And I was um, working 40 hours a week. I had started my business and I was trying to grow it. And that's when it really came kind of push comes to shove because I just couldn't I realized I couldn't keep growing the business. I guess I could, but it was extremely difficult. I wanted I started the business with the sole purpose of creating a new income stream for myself so that I could spend more time with my kids and have that freedom, but working a full-time job and then putting an extra 20 hours or more into a week growing the business, I was burning out. So yeah, I can see why. I can yeah. definitely see why. And my kids were really like, especially my older ones were really starting to resent me because they knew what was going on. So, you know, mm-hmm. here they had mom at home while I was on maternity leave. And then almost overnight, I'm working 40 hours a week. And then every spare moment I have off work, I'm working my other job. So they started to right. really like, they started to notice and it was becoming a, a problem. So yeah. And that's what I mean. I had to, I came to a crossroads and I had to decide like, am I going to take this chance on myself or am I going to put it aside and slow down and just stick to my office job and 
move forward. Yeah. I mean, I think what you went through is something that is so relatable to so many working families out there. It's, mm-hmm. I, I mean, even my oldest is in kindergarten now, but my youngest goes to daycare three days. My kids have always gone to daycare. Well, once my son, my oldest turned a year old, they've always gone to daycare three days a week. And those three days a week are great for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and my business and just my mental capacity of you know needing to not be a mom 24-7. Oh, yeah. But man, it's hard. They get sick a lot from being at daycare, which supposedly helps their immunity down the road, but <laughs> it sucks right now. Yeah. They get sick a lot. There are times when it's teary, drop off, you know, one of them's crying. Like it is hard. And then you have to then do that five days a week mm-hmm. and go to your job mm-hmm. and then pick them up. And it's what dinner time. And then by the time you get home, you eat dinner, read a book, and you, they go to bed. Yeah. And then you have to do, I mean, it's just. I yeah. think it's a story for so many working working parents and families and sure it's it's hard Absolutely. it's such a hard 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 struggle that grind it it's so real i remember um being still pregnant with my fourth and of course very hormonal but breaking down to my husband because i was pregnant working full time carting the three kids back and forth to school daycare doing that whole grind like you said barely doing dinner, bath, bed, and like collapsing at the end of the day. I remember just mm-hmm. breaking down thinking, how am I going to do this with one more kid? Like I, the fourth really was, it, it, you know, looking back, it was, it was really a pivotal, it was a life changer. And I mean, you know, I guess you can have your opinions whether there's a much of a difference between three and four, but it was more the mental shift around four. Like all of a sudden we were a big family Mm-hmm. and three was already a lot, and then I was, you know, expecting a fourth. So, yeah, it really made me reevaluate a lot of things that were going on, and I'm yeah, I'm thankful yeah. for it. It was stressful, and it, I, you know, I really struggled uh, with my mental health through that period, but looking back, I realized that without that uncomfortableness, without the, that that pressure, I probably wouldn't have, it wouldn't have given me that push that I might have needed to, you know, take a chance on myself to change things. Right. Right. right? Yeah. And that's such a good point. And Sue has said that before, like with, with change comes pain, like Mm -hmm. in in order to go through, you know, Mm -hmm. some sort of change, there's usually pain involved Mm -hmm. in some way, whether it's the pain that you're feeling that is going to propel you to make the change or just going through the change in general can be pain, painful mm-hmm. and and going through it and getting to the other side oh it's just so worth it it's hard yeah. but it's worth it but in in something too about you know two stable paychecks coming in and then the health insurance and all of that mm-hmm. it can be really terrifying mm-hmm. to now go down to one stable quote unquote stable because you know obviously once you have your business going mm-hmm. and it's in a flow and it's doing really well of course it becomes more stable mm-hmm. but going down to one stable paycheck and maybe losing some health insurance or maybe if you don't have a partner at all and mm-hmm. you're losing all of your stable paycheck yeah. and all of the the insurance and that sort of thing but so I'm curious how you know how that went for you and you mentioned when we were speaking before that you had a transition plan and I'm curious if if you would you know, tell us about that and just share how sure. it went for you. Yeah, so sure. Yeah. So there was a lot of heart-to-heart conversations with my husband. <laughs> I grew up from a family of entrepreneurs. Like I said, my dad had his own wedding photography business. My mom had a hair salon like for 35 years. And mm-hmm. my grandmother had a restaurant. So, and it's funny because all that 
didn't kind of click until after. But for my husband, like he's the risk adverse one. So it was a lot of, a lot of conversations about, can we make this work? What can we do? And oh, God love him because he is like my biggest cheerleader and supporter and honestly like really propped me up and gave his like 100 and 110% support of me. And so we took a look at our finances and realized, you know, with some, a little bit of effort, a little bit of trimming, um, we would be able to support our family on his income. And so that's what we did. But the transition plan was I approached my my employer and I asked for a, a leave without pay. So I was given a year leave without pay, which meant after the year, I could step back into my job and pick up where I left. And I have to say that the day I walked in to have that conversation with my manager was the scariest day of my life. I was I was so terrified. I honestly thought every, everyone was going to think I was crazy because mm. we're looking <laughs> at like I had a like all intents and purposes a great job, and I mean the work didn't thrill me, but I was quite good at it. I had opportunities to move forward. I had moved forward. I, we both work for the government, and I had over the fifteen years that I had worked at the government so far, I had progressed really well. It just you know, like I said, it didn't give me that work-life balance and it was never, it was never the plan for me. I never wanted that as my career. And, mm-hmm. you know, looking ahead at the next 20, 25 years, I was like, I can't do this for, I can't clock in and out for the next 20 to 25 years. I, I just can't. And so, yeah, I went in and I laid it out and I said, and I was prepared for them to say no. I was totally prepared for them to say no. I was prepared for them to look at me and <laughs> like I was crazy and question my choice. And <laughs> I'll never forget my manager. She just looked at me and she's like, of course. And I had only just come back from mat leave. I think I'd only been back <laughs> from mat leave for like less than a year. And she's like, of course, like if that's what if that's what you're called to do, if that's what you you want to do, I'm not going to hold you back. I can't hold you here. You know, she knew that if she said no and I stayed, I wouldn't be happy and that eventually I would probably leave or anyway or worse. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I was obviously mm-hmm. not, you know, giving my 100%. So yeah, yeah. So I did that and and I knew that going in and asking for that leave without pay um, even though that was the safety net that I could step back into my role after a year, that that likely wasn't going to happen. Like yeah. that was my yeah. resignation. Like I knew going in that right as totally. unless the roof fell in and you know and or like really you know. But uh, what's really ironic though is that that year I left on my leave of absence March two thousand and nineteen. So March twenty twenty my employer got back to me and they said, okay, like, are you coming back or are you resigning? Oh my gosh. That was right when the pandemic started too. Yep. Yep. Wow. This was about a week before the pandemic started. Yep. And I had to make the choice. And again, it's, you know, life has a plan and had that phone call came a week after when the pandemic had started, that choice would have been a thousand percent harder. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard totally, looking back. Totally. We didn't know in those early days what COVID was going to be, but still, mm-hmm. you know, like um, just that question. But 
but yeah, and it's, and again, it's funny. I didn't, that all that didn't even dawn on me until a few weeks into the pandemic. And I realized, oh my God, I actually resigned (laughs) from my job (laughs) like a week before the pandemic (laughs) was announced. So yeah, but like, thank God for it because I, I, you were going back to what you were saying about kids, you know, and getting sick and having to take leave from work. Like I can't recall the number of times since the pandemic started. And of course, then we have four kids at home doing school, virtual learning. How many times that I'd said, thank God I work for myself because I don't know how my husband and I would have ever managed those four kids with us both trying to work a nine to five job virtually from home. So yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, there were days where I would like whine or complain. I'm like, and I had to like look myself in the mirror and be like, oh my gosh, stop it. Like there are so many families who don't have the opportunity to stay at home yeah. or they're one sick day away from losing their job. And they're, they have very young children that are staying home alone because they mm-hmm. don't have support and daycares are closed. And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh my God, suck it up when I would get like, get frustrated. <laughs> like, But I mean, but that struggle is real too. I mean, you're you're completely self-sufficient having to bring in your own income. So there's a real pressure there when you've got kids that can't go to school or daycare anymore that you need to take care of, but you also have clients that you need to take care of and you have bills that you need to pay. So that's a whole different struggle. It's hard. You you know, it's that analogy, you know, we're, we're not all in the same boat, but we're all we're all paddling in the storm kind of thing. I think that's how it goes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's definitely a good reminder to not minimize your stress. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Everyone, yeah, for everyone sure. has their own level of stress or whatever. That's but right. I, it was just kind of a reality check sometimes. Oh, yeah. You know? And, you know, and that gratitude, like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, too, with something that you said about how you built it up in your head about how your boss was going to take it and how it was just... I was, yeah, I was astonished actually. Uh, Like a lot of people approached me. Like I said, I had quite a good working reputation at work and, you know, past managers that I worked with, people I really looked up to. It was actually the people that I looked up to the most who I, who I thought were going to think I was nuts were the ones who would Mm -hmm. take, who would actually take the time to approach me and say, good for you. You know, good for you. Like, don't ever doubt yourself. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, that when when I was quitting my my the dean of the school who was my my like partner in crime, we worked together for years and I was terrified. I made <laughs> myself sick thinking about telling her yeah. I was gonna quit and I just kept putting it off, putting it off. She pulled me in the office one day and she's like, I have something to tell you. I was like, What? She was like, I'm quitting. And I was like, Oh, <gasps> You are? I am too. And she was like, I was terrified to tell you. Are you serious? So anyways, you know, you can build yeah. something up in your head. And then in reality, it might not be what it is. And, and and that happens with so many different things. Like when people ask the question, well, you know, what what if this happens when I quit my job? Mm-hmm. Or what if I don't get any clients? Or what if, what if, what if, what if? And then people convince themselves not to take that leap or not to take mm-hmm. that jump. It, we create stories in our head that causes anxiety that it's yeah. likely not even going to happen. It's like torturing ourselves. So yeah, I would have these moments where I would worry about like living on the street, and uh, you know, and I would have these, I would have these conversations with myself, and like honestly try to think of the absolute worst case scenario, and then think, okay, like if everything completely fell apart, like 
like say there was, you know, I lost all my equipment or, you know, my laptop blew up or, you know, I don't have any clients and I can't make any money doing this. Well, then I go back and find another job. Right. You know, I knew that I had enough inside of me that I could, I wouldn't let myself get to such a destitute place, you know, like that I would, I could survive. I would survive. I'd find a way. And, you know, I think sometimes we think of success as being like a straight, a straight shot from A to B, but you know, it's not, it's, it's like a wiggly line and you have to navigate going up and down and you have to kind of feel your way through it. It's not going to be, you know, we see the success stories on TV and in movies and stuff. And it seems like all wrapped up and perfect and they did X, Y, and Z and they got here. And it seems like it takes no time at all. But in real life, we make all sorts of mistakes and, but we, we correct and we pivot and we figure it out and we move forward slowly every day, just keep working towards it. So yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your business. What do you shoot mostly? So right now I am really, um, I'm really looking towards shooting women specifically. I do headshots, beauty portraits, and I'm just starting to uh, get into boudoir. I call it, <laughs> I call it a lazy man's boudoir. <laughs> so I always, <laughs> I always associate boudoir with, um, you know, like G strings and like strappy bras and like, right. and I, I was never really attracted to that. I like, I think it's people who are, who like that stuff. And I've seen some beautiful, beautiful pieces, but it was actually when I, I, I learned about Cara Marie and saw her stuff and realized like, there's a whole kind of another side to boudoir that's softer and maybe a little more minimal and you know, just beautiful kind of honoring the body. Like I love that one sheet concept. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've started looking for ways to shoot that more and incorporate that into my beauty, my beauty portrait sessions, or I kind of, you know, if I get the right kind of client, I tease, tease it out to see if they'd be into trying something where, you know, we just do a bodysuit or we just do, you know, a, a flowy white shirt, button up shirt, you know, just to start getting a little more into showing more of the body and more skin. So, so I'm enjoying that. Okay. So you do a little bit of, of, well, it looks like mostly in studio or do you do some outside? So I started off shooting all natural light families. And once I left my job and I started working for myself full time, I actually sat down and did the numbers and I crunched the numbers and I, I thought, okay, if I did a family session, one family session every week, in Canada, in Ottawa, where we live, you can only really shoot outdoors between June and October. So mm-hmm. I, there was, you know, yeah, I could completely, I could raise my prices a lot and try to book every weekend between June and October and make a basic salary. But I was like, I, I don't think I can do that. Like, I just didn't have it in me to try to push the price to lose your whole summer <laughs> and yeah and to lose my whole summer right because remember you have to remember the why the why was mm-hmm. have more time with my family so that's what really led me to thinking I gotta I gotta work something out and um so I thought okay I gotta start I gotta start learning how to use light and I want to have a space to shoot so first I started in my garage and actually the best what's really cool is I started by offering school portraits 
Um, so I asked, offered school portraits in 2019, the fall of 2019, and I got a couple. I did like one afternoon of mini sessions and I just shot, I shot some in my garage and some in um, my house. But then of course in 2020 during the pandemic, no one could get school portraits. So all of a sudden it was like a ticket. Like it was like people needed this. So it worked yeah, out really well. Totally. Yeah. So I set up a little shop in my, in my garage. Yeah. And I got all sorts of people coming in and it was great because one, I had the base, the client base there because I was moving from families. So I had a whole, like I use my email list and I have a whole, I have hundreds of families on my email list sent them out the email that I was doing school portraits in my garage because no, no one could get them done at their school. And yeah, booked up a bunch of school portraits. And it was great because I could play with the light. I could play with the studio lights. I could play with posing a little bit. And, you know, kids are, I, lo- I still love photographing kids, but, you know, you only have about five minutes, if that. <laughs> so you got to work pretty fast. Yeah. So boom, I just bring them in and it just gave me, you know, just that familiarity, that repeat, that muscle memory of how to put the lights together, how to pose, you know, getting those, that posing flow going and making some money while I, while I learned. So it was a great way to transition. I did them again this year, but now I have a studio in the house, which was good because it was getting very cold in the garage. (laughs) Okay. So you, you have four kids and you have a studio in your house. How do you do that? Yeah. So when we bought this house, uh, 2010, so we've been here for uh, 11 years now, we, it's quite a large house and it has, um, actually has four bedrooms and a bonus room. And so we've converted the bonus room. It's like an extra large space over the garage. It's got a vaulted ceiling. It has South facing windows. And yeah, I knew uh, when I, even when I was doing, you know, just playing around with my camera, shooting my own kids. I used to use this space as their bedroom. I knew it had a really good light even then. And uh, yeah. And so when I was kind of putting two to two together, I thought I have the perfect studio space right in our house. So um, thank goodness for pandemics because I had nothing else to do. So that, that was like the perfect opportunity to, I didn't have any clients, you know, I had to be at home. So I just worked at moving everything out and painting and converting this space into a, a studio. So wow. Okay. Yeah. I love it too. It's tiny, but it's it's a total game changer having that space, no matter how tiny, but just having a dedicated space for me to create. It was I'm still in love with having that space. Yeah. That's awesome. And you do not need a lot of space. Mm-hmm. I mean my my studio that I shot in for like four years was three hundred square feet. Mm-hmm. Definitely don't need a lot of space. So that's awesome. This is pretty tiny. Like I think it's um, 10 by about, I think it's 10 by about 15 feet. So. Oh yeah. So it's even yeah, smaller. It's pretty yeah. small, but it's got a, the higher ceiling, which is really great for moving lights yeah, around. Nice. Yeah. It really helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, did you have regular clients coming in when you quit your job or were you still building up your client base? You're always building your client base. I think it'll be a while until I'm like, don't need any clients. But um, I had an established name. I definitely had people, you know, looking me up, calling me, reaching me. Instagram is actually working really well with me with family. And so I had, I had regular, I was probably doing about steady two to three shoots a month families, but I was not charging enough to be making a proper like living off of it. So 
When I was doing Strictly Families, I was doing Shoot and Burn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, are you aware you want to be now when it comes to your sales average and how often you're shooting? Oh, no. No, I'm definitely still working up. We had a long time this year. I, I opened the studio in May. We weren't actually able to, because of the COVID restrictions, we weren't actually able to start working until July. So I've had like a year, there's been about a, well, since March to March, which is a year and how many months, April, May, June, July. So uh, 16 months of not being able to really work in the home. I could sometimes shoot outside during those 16 months. It was okay to shoot outside at a distance. So having clients come into the studio to shoot took a long time. Even once the studio was ready, I couldn't, I couldn't open my doors yet until July. So yeah, I'm definitely still uh, working up uh, my business and, and transitioning over from families. So like I said, I have quite a few of quite a large client base of families now. And October was probably my busiest month, but it was all families because they were former clients. And you know, I'm so I'm not turning that tap off yet. I'm slowly again, like you don't, you know, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I worked really hard to build that client base. And even though it's not really what I want to be shooting anymore, I want to move into the studio work and into beauty portraits and and boudoir and that I still need that work. And so, you know, we talk about shooting what you love and I and you know, you have to do that, but you also have to pay the bills. And it's, so I still photograph families, but I don't market families anymore. It's not on my Instagram. I still have one little link on my, on my website, but I really only, I only market directly to them. So if I'm offering family sessions, I email them directly, but I don't post it out like on my Facebook or in the public space at all. Yeah. Nicole, I love that you just said that. It's like, you don't have to like murder what you created Mm -hmm. before in order to build something new. (laughs) <laughs> like I, yeah. I think Ashley said that to me when we were like she used that as a quote when we I interviewed her Ashley Taylor on her full episode she's so funny uh-huh. it's like yes of course we want to get to the point where we are only shooting what we love but we also need to pay the bills and we need mm-hmm. to continue to stay relevant and out and you know doing shoots and that sort of thing and and it sounds like you did it perfectly you, you it's know, a process. Like a really nice transition. Yeah. yeah, it is a yeah. process. It's a process. And, uh, you know, I'll continue serving my current clients doing families. I no longer do newborns and maternity. I was, I used to offer that. It's definitely not a genre I feel I excel at. And it's not an area where I want to keep investing my time in learning how to do it well. So I've decided, okay, so I'm going to step away from that. I never advertise of doing weddings. I've done the odd one for a friend, but, um, I don't take on weddings as a rule. So yeah, you need that income. And what was interesting was, you know, October, like I said, it was such a busy month. And I remember kind of complaining like, oh, I got I got all this business, but it's not what I want to shoot. Like I want to be back in the studio. I want to be doing the hair and makeup and, you know, having the fun time and getting, you know, getting super creative. And I'm lugging my camera equipment out on a park with kids and, you know, battling the weather and, But I thought, but this was what I was, this is everything I was working for like a year before, right? So all that work that I laid down, I planted all those seeds a year before, they were finally coming to fruition. So I couldn't like turn my nose up at it. This was what I had worked for just because I had since decided I was going to move on to something else. 
I still am really grateful for all that work. My clients might be scratching their heads a little bit because obviously like I'm producing all these family images and I don't share anything of it on, um, on, my, on my Instagram or Facebook, but so far I haven't had anyone complain, so I don't worry about it, but yeah. Yeah, that's funny. When I was, <laughs> when I was um, transitioning out of weddings, I did a very similar process and I still always felt obligated to share the sneak yeah. peeks from my client's wedding just because I... I mean, I guess it's different when it's your wedding versus just a family shoot, but I was like, oh, I got to do it. And I kept getting inquiries because of that. And then finally I was done. But yeah, it is. It's one of those things that it's a balance between keeping clients happy and, you know, making sure it's what you want to market. And for sure. And tell me a little bit. Sorry, I was just going to, I was just going to say like social media is a marketing tool. I think sometimes we get, we get caught up. I mean, I know we share personal Mm -hmm. details on there sometimes, but Sometimes when I feel like a lot of pressure to write like a post or share something personal, I take a step back and go, it's a marketing tool. Like I don't owe anyone anything on this app. Like it's there for me to attract business. I'm writing to attract a client. I don't need to share that, hey, like my kids were sick, so that's why I haven't been here. Like who cares? (laughs) You know, like it's a marketing tool. Let's not forget. Like, yes, we, we like to pretend it's social. And I do love connecting with others on it. But at the end of the day, it's just a tool to help me get my message out there about the service I offer. Yeah. Gosh, that's such a great reminder (laughs) of what social media really is truly used for. And like when I have friends who are like, oh, I have to take a social media break. And I'm like, oh, I really want to too. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I do have someone who will post my regular work for me. Uh, which is great because then if I if I if I really do want to take a break, at least I know you know there's still posting regularly mm-hmm. happening. But but yeah, you're right. It is a tool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk a little bit, Nicole, about your pricing structure. And you know, I know you said you you still want to increase it a little bit, but talk to me about where it's at now. So yeah, I made a big change um, this year. Was I kind of look at my pricing every year, kind of on the on the fiscal year. So starting in in 2020, I went to IPS. So I went to doing in-person sales. I went away from the shoot and burn and I went for all my clients, even my family clients that I was still servicing. Um, And so I, and to make things simple, because I, like I've learned through Sue's videos, I think I've watched the sales one like three or four times. I watch it every time I readjust my pricing. (laughs) Yeah, I want it to be really simple so it would roll off the tongue. So I wanted, I kind of kept everything the same. So right now, my session fee is $400 for family beauty headshot. The session fee is $400. So it includes up to two hours of shooting. For the beauty portraits and the headshots, it also covers the hair and makeup artist. But that session fee covers the pre-consultation. I meet with every client, either usually on the phone or by Zoom with every client before their session. We talk about logistics and backup plans, all that stuff. With my beauty portraits, I go through, we do a whole styling consultation about their outfits. I put a Pinterest board together with them or for them. I work with the, the stylist so they know what, we're, what kind of look we're going for for their shoot. And then, of course, it it covers the time and studio, and then they they purchase so that and that four hundred dollars also gives them a two hundred dollar credit towards purchasing their prints. And the reason I loved that was because I loved using the credit because when I would write up my marketing 
like my marketing um, copy, like the copy for for emails and for yeah PDFs, the copy. I loved including a two hundred dollar credit, print credit, in the session fee because whenever I would write up the copy, it was a really kind of elegant way of implying that the prints weren't included. Now I always say in this in the small yes, print that's that so the print's true. not included. But if your session mm-hmm. fee includes a two hundred dollar credit to purchase prints, it's kind of obvious that the prints aren't included. So it was the easiest way for me. And then it just it would help it it allowed me to sell it really well because I'd be like, well, here's what everything's included. And basically half of what you're paying is already paying for prints. It's working quite well for families. And, and that is quite expensive for the market because I, I, having been in families for a couple of years, I know what the market is. And, and I would say 90% of them are shoot and burn. So 400 up front without any prints is steep for them. But knock on wood, like I haven't anyone complain. And like I said, all these clients are clients I've already, sh- I've already photographed before, they're past clients. So they know my work and my service and I can stand by that. And then if people, you know, I, I'll, if anyone does complain about the price, I always say, well, shop around, take a look. You know, I, I don't, I don't compete on price, so I'm not going to even, I'm not going to start arguing with you or trying to, you know, justify it. I don't compete on price. I offer more than price. So yeah. And, and then, so then my packages start at, um, at 950 for a package of five prints or six digitals. So I've prorated the prints and digitals so that you get a couple more digitals per package. And basically what it is, it's the same price, but I've taken off the price of the actual print, like the, the cost of goods sold, basically. I take that off um, so you can get a couple extra. So like the first package starts at five prints, matted prints for $9.50 or five or six digitals for $9.50. And then it goes up from there. Okay. Okay. So then you do digital only and then they can add on the print packages or the prints. No, they can pick a digital package or a print package. Okay. okay. Yeah. Gotcha. It's just the pricing, the packages start like they're like my print packages. The first package starts at 550 for five matted prints or six digitals. And they go up to 900 for the second, which is 10 prints or 15 digitals. And then the top, my biggest package is 1200 which is 20 prints in a folio box or 30 digitals, which they also get in black and white. Wait, though, Nicole, they also get the $200 credit, though, right? Yeah, that? so that's what's, yeah. So that's, oh, man. So okay. that's where so your lowest package is like yeah, next if to you nothing. Take that, yeah, if you take that 200 off, yeah. That's 350. And then in a beauty, which is where I'm really trying to grow my business in the beauty portraits and headshots, I have to take off the price of my artist, which is about 150 to 200. So I'm not making mm-hmm, anything. Mm-hmm. So when I get to that, I'm not making anything on the session. So right now I'm looking at increasing the session fee because I'm not selling a lot of, I'm getting people in the door, but I'm not selling a lot in sort of in terms of prints. Or digitals. Right now, my clients are kind of half and half. Some of them are doing, I'm trying to push the prints, but they're really still on the whole digital mindset, which, you know, I, I've shot enough to know that most people don't ever print their digitals. So, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, 
so it, you know, I really try to encourage my clients to consider prints. And the way I do that too is any print they buy, they also get the digital. So if yeah, they're like, eh, nice. but I, you know, I really, you know, there, there's always this worry that they'll lose it. Um, say you'll always have the digital. So, you know, you'll get the print, but you'll have the digital. I definitely want to encourage you to raise that. Because, mm. I mean, for the smallest package, you're basically working for no- for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you did not quit your job to spend time with your family and, you know, and then take all of this time away from your family and, you know, your friends and your life or whatever to work for nothing. Yeah. So I definitely want to encourage you to get those prices up. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Again, coming up to my the new year, I'll be increasing my prices again. And my clients know that I increase them every year. And I tell, so I, I kind of do like a year end, like, hey, my prices are going to be going up. If you want to book now to schedule your shoot in the, in the new year, you know, you can get on in the old, you know, the lower pricing. And again, it's just a nice way to like one kind of, I hate when someone comes to me, say in December, and they're like, I really think I'd like to get my, my, you know, my pictures taken. And I send them the pricing and then, you know, it's only a matter of a few weeks later, they come back, okay, okay, I'm ready to book. And I'm like, oh, the pricing's gone up. And I know I have the right to do that. But this way, one, it kind of gets them, it kind of pushes them um, to book. And it also gets Mm -hmm. a bunch of dates in my calendar going into the new year, which really makes me feel good because I'm like, okay, I'm getting into the, because I find my slowest period is January to like May. And so mm-hmm, it's nice mm-hmm. to know, okay, I've got, I've got bookings. Like I'm good. Even, you know, the pricing of the prints will go up. So even though they book the session at a lower fee, the, they're going to still pay the higher print prices because they don't obviously buy the prints until the session is done and they've, they see the, the images. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. I agree. I have to, I have to raise my prices. I have every plan intention to do that. Yeah, yeah, I hope you do. And and there is a strategy too that you could use is when you do raise your prices, if someone, an old client comes, you know, previous client comes back, you could just offer a gift voucher, you know, a hundred dollar gift voucher or something mm-hmm. towards the new pricing. You know, there's that there's that route as well that you can take. But I mean, there's gonna be a lot of new clients in your future too who had no idea what your previous pricing was. Absolutely. So Yeah. I re- I definitely recognize that my old clients are not my beauty portrait clients. So in some ways I'm I'm kind of starting over again in terms of building a client base of beauty portraits, even headshots. And, and I try to cross promote, like I, I will send information to my family clients about packages and things I'm offering in terms of headshots, but it's just a matter of how they found me and they know me as a family photographer. So they don't, they don't consider, you know, they don't consider me. So I try to stay front of mind, but I do know it's a different client, you know, so mm-hmm. I don't try to push mm-hmm. it. If they're not going to, if my family clients are going to be converted to beauty portrait clients, like I can't blame them. They're, you know, they got on yeah, board with yeah. a very different, with a very different service in mind. So that's perfectly, I have to find new clients for my beauty portrait business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then, you know, what are your goals? What are you working towards? How many times do you want to shoot per month, you know, what, what works for you? So I would love to shoot probably four to six sessions a month. Six Mm -hmm. is probably pushing it. I'd love it if I had a solid shoot every week and I would like to see like a $2,500 average sale. So I'm, I'm still ways from that. I totally, I totally recognize that I have a ways to go, but I also recognize that I only just moved over to in-person sales 
at the beginning of this year. So the idea of even saying that a session was $400 and it didn't include the prints, like I would break out into a sweat <laughs> trying to say that. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm coming from a diehard shoot and burn and dealing with clients who are all used to shoot and burn. Like, so having to, I had to spell that out for people. So yeah, so I mean, I know I have a long way to go, but I've also come a long way. And it's just, I have to take the steps and I will. I, I definitely will be increasing my prices. So yeah, but right now I'm in the process of deciding by how much. Do I just take the leap or do I kind of inc- do an incremental increase? Right, right. Well, uh, you know, I I have to say I did the leap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I definitely took the leap and it was scary. And mm-hmm. I used gift vouchers because it freaked me out big time. I used gift vouchers and gave away the session fee. So they came in at no, yeah, no obligation. And that worked really well for me. And, you know, some people do, they just kind of move up slowly. But one thing, gosh, one thing that I think that works so well is to really, to make that leap. But then again, going back to the gift vouchers, you can use higher increments. If it Mm -hmm. freaks you out, use a $500 gift voucher, Mm -hmm. you know, bump your top package up to 2,400. Or you said you want your average to be be 2,500. So bump it up to Mm 2,700 and then give out a $500, $600 gift voucher. It just, it's like, Another thing that you could do, though, if this makes you more comfortable, that I think some people do is every three shoots you book at your current pricing, raise it $100. Mm. You know, raise it $200, whatever. As long as you're going on an upwards trajectory, I will say, though, it is much easier to start at a higher price and give out those yes. gift vouchers because you never have to, yes. you know, someone who comes to you said, well, my friend only paid XYZ. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, not that that happens very often. No. And again, you know. But. Yeah. Plus I do, once I, it took me a long time to get my PDFs together. Like, you know, when I did the 90 day startup and when I got to the PDF lesson, <laughs> I like almost stopped dead. It took, I don't know why I actually love doing digital projects, like projects. I love designing, you know, I love designing and that sort of thing. Like and I use Canva a lot for all my media posts and that sort of stuff. And I actually use Canva to develop my PDF, which was, it, to me, ended up being the easiest way to do it. So yeah, for me, like I felt I had a confidence once I kind of had those numbers and I had them memorized, <laughs> even though you had, I still, you still had to ask me. But as long as have the session fee memorized. So for me, I think I need to feel really confident with those numbers so that they don't have a power over me anymore. And I don't want to be in a situation where someone comes to me and I'm kind of between pricing and I'm like, and then I'm always going to give them the lower pricing. So for me, I have to say, okay, this is the cutoff. This is what it's going to be. And just get used to saying that, you know, and that's it. And then move, you know, so I, I don't have to second guess myself and it, I can take the emotion out of, out of the price because it's just a number. It's just, yeah. 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 So that's what exactly right. Take the emotion right out of it. It is what it is. You know, high end, high end retailers are not, you know, feeling emotional because they didn't, someone walked out and didn't buy a pair of shoes or a dress or whatever. The price is the price. And you know what I found so amazing, Nikki, was the fact that, and I think this came up in some of Sue's talks that she's done. People forget that they paid the session fee. Oh, right. Actually, a lot of the time they forget they have the $200 credit. Like a lot of the time I was the one who reminded them that they had the $200 credit. Oh, yeah. They forget they even have it. So like the money that they paid like three or four weeks ago, 
they completely forget. So, you know, I think that's a really important thing for people who are new to raising their prices and new to doing in-person sales is that you can basically dissociate your, your session fee with your package pricing because your clients do. They do not, mm-hmm. they don't remember. They're not adding in their mm-hmm. head going, oh, I've already spent $400 and now I have to spend $900 more. They're not doing that. Like I know for a fact they're not. Um, so it's interesting. That was a big shock for me, but a really good thing to know that they forget. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I had a client recently thanking me and I'm thinking, what is she thanking me for? And then I had, <laughs> it's funny because she, I had given her a hundred dollar voucher as a, as a return client. Mm. Or for some reason I gave her a hundred dollars. I'm trying to remember. It was so long ago. For some reason I gave her a hundred dollar gift voucher and she forgot about it. And I applied it as a oh. discount on her invoice. And she thought I was just like being super nice. And I was thinking like, actually I gave this to you a while ago, you know, but okay, if you want to think I'm being really nice. Like. That's a really interesting, that brings uh, brings up an interesting question for me, you know, Nikki, do you track who you give vouchers to? No. Because I don't. I mean. I would forget. No. I wouldn't remember. Yeah. Like I have this, I have, I've made them on little business cards. It's like the yeah. size of a business yeah. card and I pop them in birthday cards. And I, anytime I know a client's referred me that has resulted in a sale, I send them a thank you and I pop a couple of vouchers in. So I, yeah, I give nice. them away all the time. I don't keep track. I mean, I don't think yeah. anyone's out there reproducing my gift voucher. <laughs> yeah. In this case, it was through email. And okay. so whenever I have photographed someone before, I always go back through our email threads and just read. Okay. Just to freshen up on my memory of how they like to be photographed. You know, just anything yeah. that we talked about via email. And it was in there, which is yeah. why I remembered. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that no, it just it was a bit of a relief for me because I'm like, shit, I'm not tracking <laughs> any of. No. I'm handing them out like candy to people. I don't track it. I am not that organized. <laughs> no. Not that organized. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting with me about all of this, Nicole. I really appreciate it. You get you have some really really great insight, and I can tell you just have soaked in so much education, and you're just like doing the work and. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm excited for you. And, oh, I, and, and I really do hope you raise your prices. I will. Your work is great. You deserve it. You can hold me to it, Nikki. You can check in on me later. I definitely have fire. <laughs> oh, <prices>. I will. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, you okay, know what? I, yeah, sorry. I was just going to kind of give a little plug to Sue because having the system, having all the access to all the, the resources and the information and the Facebook group, there's so much value there. Like, we all have those people in our lives that kind of question what we're doing. You know, when I tell, I've even worked with business coaches and I've told them, you know, I'm offering a luxury service. This is what I'm going to charge. And they're like, they're, they're like, mm, really? Like, and I'm like, look, it works. Like I have a whole, <laughs> there's hundreds of people that can back me up on the fact that I can do this. It works. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know if I could have done any of this without knowing that, there's a proven system out there that, and a lot of other people have done it and succeeded at it. And it just, you know, some days that's what I need to remind myself to kind of keep going and keep pushing myself. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. Well, I do have a couple more questions for you that I always ask at the end of each episode. Absolutely. Yeah. The first question is what is something you can't live without when you're doing a photo shoot? Um, so I'm a huge fan of the podcast. So I, I know these questions well. And so I did have some time to think about it. And like a lot of other people, obviously, I have music. I have a fan. 
my artist assists me with the shoot. But one thing I've started using in my shoots that I find has been um, a game changer for me is I start every shoot off with some deep breathing with my client. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we just sit together and we just, you know, five or five or six deep breaths. But it's, I find there's a lot of excitement going on and, you know, with they, they just saw themselves after they got their hair and makeup done and they're all excited. And I just find that time helps ground me, but also helps ground them. I started off just by doing it for my own self to help me center myself and not get too overwhelmed before the session started. But I found it really helps them too, because I want them to be present in their body during the session. So yeah, I mean, it can feel a little weird at first when we first started doing it, but I've done it several times now and it feel it feels a little easier every time. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I love deep breathing. Very cool. Uh, number two, how do you spend your time when you aren't working? I read. I do read. Outside of like caring for my kids, obviously, there's mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. dance practices and ringette practices to drive children to. Mm-hmm. I do love reading, so fiction. Yeah, that's my get my right. little getaway. God, I love reading so much. Oh. I just do not read as much as I should anymore. I listen. I listen to books, but ever since I started my business, I swear I just do not read as much anymore. Yeah, that's. It's like my little. I don't want to say it's my not guilty pleasure. I don't want to call it a guilty pleasure. But I started this year. I instituted Sundays off. So on Sundays, I don't. Um, the odd time I may have to book a shoot if there's been a rain date, if I'm doing an outdoor session. But otherwise, Sundays, I don't look up my phone. I don't book anything. I plan my work so that nothing has to be, nothing's expected from me on Sunday. And that's the time I cuddle up on the couch and I have some me time and I read and I spend time with my kids and my husband because he gets some time sometimes. (laughs) But yeah. Very cool. And number three, what is your favorite inspirational quote? Oh, so I love quotes. I have several that I've collected over the years, but the most recent one that I've found that I absolutely love is you can't get it wrong. And Mm -hmm. it's something I repeat to myself a lot because, you know, the whole process is as it's meant to be. And so even if you completely mess it all up, there's going to be something that you're going to gain out of that. So you can't get it wrong. And sometimes that's all I need to just repeat to myself to allow myself to just keep going forward and not get, you know, stuck in analysis paralysis or second guess my decisions. Every decision I made was the right one at the time. So I don't, I said funny because I, I have them everywhere. I have a really great quote on my email, but I don't have that one anywhere, but I say it to myself uh, a lot. So yeah, I love it. Yeah. Simple, but impactful. Yeah, sure. that's that's what, you know, this old mom brain, I can't have anything too complicated. <laughs> it won't stick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And last question is, what would you tell people who are just getting started? You know, little by little, you'll go far. You have to make the first step. And the only one that needs to believe in you is you. You know, we all want the support of our families and friends, but there's going to be a time where you're going to need to make decisions that you know aren't going to be what everyone else thinks you should do. And it's all you, baby. You got to, you got to own it and you got to, and Mm -hmm. you got to do it for you because 
you answer to yourself at the end of the day and it's your business. So yeah, that's probably, that's probably the, the best thing I can think of is don't do it for anyone else. Just do it for you and you'll, you'll be fine. You'll do it and you'll be great yeah. as at, wherever you end up, wherever you land. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. And where can people find you online, Nicole? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Nicole underscore Rose underscore photography. And that's Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E. And on my webpage, I guess is, would be www.NicoleRosePhotography.ca. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And um, yeah, I can't wait to do our, our follow-up interview a year from now and see yes. where we're at. <laughs> Please do. So, very cool. Yes. Thank you so much, Nikki. It's a real privilege. I really, uh, really appreciate your time. Oh, thank and you. And the podcast is awesome, by the way. Like, I don't know if I mentioned, but yeah, I listen to it um, almost every day when I walk my dog. So, Oh, yeah. good. I'm so glad. I love yeah. hearing that. Very cool. Awesome. All right. You take care. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Portrait System Podcast. Your five-star reviews really help us to continue what we do. So if you like listening, would you mind giving us a review wherever you listen? I also encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com where you can find all of the education you need to be a successful photographer. There are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 90-Day Startup Challenge, plus so many downloads showing hundreds of different poses. We have to-do checklists for your business, lighting PDFs. I mean, truly everything to help make you a better photographer and to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com.